We're going to look at Matthew chapter 5, because we've been looking at uh, this, this sermon, uh, well, this, this talk that Jesus did, what's called the Sermon on the Mount. We've been looking at that for the last few months when I've been preaching, I guess. Um, and so we've got up to Matthew 5 and verse 21, so that's where we're going to read from this morning. You heard it, you have heard, that's a good start, isn't it? <laughs> you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who's taking you to court. Do it while you're still with him on the way, or he may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown in prison. I tell you the truth, you'll not get out until you have paid the last penny. All right, so as I said, we've been looking at this, uh, this chapter for quite a while, and uh, we've read the chapter, the passage before that a few weeks ago, and that's where Jesus was stressing to people that actually there's no way that they're able to keep the law and to win favor with God. It's not about making your own efforts. It's not about doing well yourself. In other words, religious people, people who think that they are doing okay before God, won't actually impress God at all, and they won't enter the kingdom of heaven. That's what he's been saying in verses 17 through to 20. And so what Jesus is now doing is he's moving on to some practical examples of the same thing. Um, Often we get the impression that Jesus is changing topics, I think because of the uh, divisions in the the Bible, you know, where it it says the fulfillment of the law in the NIV, and then it says murder, um, which is strange because mainly he's not talking about murder in this passage. We kind of think, oh, Jesus has finished with that topic, and now he's moved on to the next sort of thing he wants to say. Actually, it just all flows together. And what he's saying here is an illustration of something that he's just said in verses 17 to 20, uh, which again built on what he said earlier on in the the Beatitudes. So um, he gives six examples of of these ways that religious people just cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Areas where maybe religious people think, well, I'm okay on that. I've not done that. I've passed the test. And Jesus seems to move the goalposts, and he cuts their pride down to size. So the first one that we see today is, well, he starts with murder, which is the sixth commandment out of the Ten Commandments, the sixth commandment. Although, we have to realize that actually, most of these people, they wouldn't have known exactly what was written down in the Old Testament scriptures. Obviously, the scriptures would have been read uh, in the synagogues, and uh, um, and I guess at the temple as well, in Jerusalem. Um, but there was a lot of kind of oral tradition, things that had, had been come and been added to the scriptures that the Pharisees and the scribes would say. And so they would teach all of this together. And uh, maybe people wouldn't have known exactly what was Old Testament scripture, what was part of the Torah, the Jewish law, and what was part of this oral tradition. So when Jesus says, you have, heard it sa- you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder. He's not sort of d- doubting that it's in the Old Testament. He's just saying, well, you'll have heard it said. 
You'll have heard the scribes and the Pharisees teaching about this. Um, you've heard that it was said, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. So that will be what they knew. They will know if people murdered someone, if someone killed someone else, then they would go to the court and they would be uh, judged by that and actually they would be um, killed themselves as punishment for that. So he starts off by talking about this, what people knew, the kind of rule, and people would have been thinking, yeah, but I've never killed anyone. I'm okay. It's all all right. I've, I've passed that test. And then he moves the goalposts and he says, yeah, but... Even if you are angry with someone, you'll also be subject to judgment. So now it's not about, have you killed someone? It's about, well, have you ever been angry with someone? He says, if you call someone raka, and raka um, translates to something like blockhead. (laughs) That's a good good, uh, modern insult that you hear a lot these days, isn't it? You blockhead. If you... uh, if you use that word and call someone that, um, or call someone a fool, again, it seems quite tame by today's standards, but these were serious things. You will be in danger of judgment and hell. You think, Jesus, just hang on a minute. It's, it's all getting a bit strong here. We've heard that it was murderers who were subject to judgment, and now you're saying, if I call someone a fool or a blockhead, then I'll also be subject to judgment and in danger of the fires of hell. Jesus seems to have moved the goalposts. But both of those things are things that are said out of anger. Anger that comes up and it expresses itself in in calling someone a name or saying something to someone strongly. And Jesus is pointing out that actually... The anger that is at the root of that is also at the root of murder. Anger is just there. It's hidden beneath the surface. The external, someone's killed someone. But actually, there's anger there that has been bubbling up, brewing, comes out beneath the surface. And God, surface, and God sees that as well. In other words, Jesus takes the external things which religious people can look at other people and look down on them and think they're better, in this case, murder, And he goes deeper to the underlying cause. And he's saying, you're the same. You're the same as these people. You're the same as as people who kill. We all do it, really, don't we? We all do it when we we watch the news, or maybe we read a newspaper. We look at someone who who maybe has killed someone, uh, attacked someone, raped someone, whatever it might be, it could be anything, and and we like to portray them as monsters, the media does that quite a lot, but we all do it, really. It's only a reflection of what we're like. We like to pigeonhole someone, someone else as different to us. Well, they're a monster. They're not really human to have done that. Actually, Jesus is saying, no, no, they are human. The fact that they're human, and that is and the same root that resulted in an extreme case of, of murder or an attack or whatever it might be, actually is in your heart as well. It's all there in you. It's part of the human sinfulness that we all have. But we like to distance ourselves from it. We like to say we're better than that. Whether it's anger, whether it's lust, whether it's greed, covetousness. Now, you'll get lots of people who say, well, I've never killed anyone. You're not going to find too many people who will say, well, I've never been angry. 
I would imagine it's very difficult to find anyone who would say they've never been angry. We see anger everywhere. We see anger all over the place in society. We see it in, in road rage, don't we? We're driving along. You're carrying a very you know, nice conversation. And we probably all find ourselves doing this at times. I know I, know I stand guilty of this. You're driving along, you're having a conversation with someone. Suddenly someone cuts you up and you're beeping on the horn. Suddenly you're reacting. Anger comes up. Road rage. It gets obviously worse than that for some, for some people. Playing sport. Playing sport. I've seen some of, the, some of the people who I've thought were the gentlest people. Some of the calmest people. And you watch them playing sport. And suddenly you think, this is a different person here. Playing. They're arguing with the referee. They're getting wound up about all the decisions. Where's that come from? Anger. You know, even watching sport. I heard of a, I heard of a story uh, where there was a baseball team, a couple of baseball teams playing in Boston in 1894. And uh, one of the batsmen got into an argument with the pitcher. And they started a, a, a brawl. They started a fight. And then, and then all the rest of the team got involved as well. And there's this mass brawl going on on the baseball diamond. Then the people in the stands started fighting as well. And some people in the and someone in the stand must have started a fire in the middle of this brawl, and the fire spread, and it spread to the neighbourhood, and 107 buildings in Boston burnt down because the pitcher had a fight with I think it was the third batsman. You know, anger has an explosive result sometimes. We see it on TV. EastEnders. Can you ever watch an episode of EastEnders? without seeing someone shouting. I mean, I don't watch EastEnders, but I don't think it happens. If anyone's ever watched an episode of EastEnders where no one has got angry, I would be amazed. Some families have a lot of anger expressed too, don't they? We just have it expressed a lot. It it can be a, a bit of a backdrop to just family life. It can become the norm. Some people are just like the Incredible Hulk. You know, I remember watching the Incredible Hulk when I was younger. This, this mild-mannered guy, David Banner, I think he was called. He said, you wouldn't like me when I'm angry, though. And he turns into this Hulk, this green monster. It can be like that. Anger is everywhere. Anger is everywhere. And it's at the root of a lot of what we do. And it's at the root of a lot of evil in society. And it can lead to murder. What Jesus wanted to do here was he wanted to make people realize that they're not okay before God. It's not that you've not killed everyone, anyone, so you're okay. And you hear people like that all the time, don't you? Well, I've never hurt anyone. I've never killed anyone. I'm not, I've never done that, so I'm okay before God. Jesus is cutting it right down to size and saying, no, because you have got anger in your heart. And he'll go on and he'll say, and you have got lust in your heart. And you've got this, that, and the other. And he's making people see that it's, we can't keep the rules and impress God by our outward appearance. It's very easy for us to put a tick against this commandment but, and tell ourselves it's okay. Others do it. The rich man in the Bible came up to Jesus. He came up against the same thing in Matthew 19. Matthew 19 and verse 16, the result was the same. He came up and he says, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? And Jesus goes on and he says, If you want to enter life, obey the commandments. Which ones, the man inquired, 
Jesus required, replied, don't, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't give false testimony, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. I've kept all these, all these I've kept, said the young man. What do I lack? In other words, what he's saying is, I'm all right then. I've kept all of those. He's obviously not heard what Jesus has said here about, well, it said if you don't murder, don't murder, but actually I say don't be angry. I've kept them all. Jesus is saying, well, if you want to be perfect, go and sell your possessions, give them to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Then the young man heard this, and he went away sad because he had got great wealth. That was the issue for him. And Jesus said to his disciples, I'll tell you the truth, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. He could have said it about any number of other things. For him, it was a rich man. I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, who then can be saved? Who then can be saved? It's the, it's the same result. When we see what the standards are, when we see what Jesus is really saying, that's what our response is. Who can be saved then? You, you're saying it's not just about murder, we can't even be, it's about anger and if we've got lust in our heart, why? well, who can be saved? That's where Jesus wants us to get to. Asking the question, who can be saved? How can we do it? Jesus gives the answer in Matthew 19, 26. He looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. We'll come back to that later on. Now, some people might look at these verses and what Jesus is saying and say, hang on a minute. I know my Bible a bit. Surely, Jesus got angry himself. You know, I was, uh, I heard last week Arnold was talking about um, no point in the Bible. Does it mention him uh, laughing, I think he said, or sneezing? But, but the Bible does talk about Jesus being angry. For, uh, let's, some examples. Mark chapter 3 and uh, verse 5. Jesus is healing a man with a, a shriveled, a withered hand. And uh, he challenges the religious people of the day in verse 4. He says, well, which is lawful on the Sabbath? Because it was the Sabbath. To do good or to do evil, to save life or kill. The religious people remain silent. And it says he looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Jesus looked around at them in anger. Also, when Jesus drove out the money uh, lenders and the, and the people selling goods and, uh, in the temple in John chapter 2, you'll probably have, uh, know this, this story. It's also in, the, um, in Matthew as well, in other Gospels. Um, John chapter 2 and verse 22, he goes in, you'll know, sorry, he goes in and clears the temple uh, and he's angry. He makes, a, um, John chapter 2 and verse 15, he made a whip out of cords. He drove all from the temple area, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables to those who sold doves, he says, get those out of here. How dare you turn my father's house into a market? There's anger there. Finally, when he raised Lazarus from the dead, we might not actually have twigged that Jesus is angry here because it's put in a slightly different way in the NIV. Um, when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, 
Jesus gets to the, the place where, uh, where, where Lazarus died, and uh, Jesus sees Mary in verse 33 of chapter 11 of, of John. And it says, When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who'd also come along with her weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. And what that actually means is anger built up in him. Being deeply moved in spirit, actually the, the, the Greek means anger built up in him. A bit later on as well, um, a few verses on, verse 38, Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. In other words, Jesus, once more with anger building up in him, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone, take away the stone, and Jesus commands Lazarus to come back out. Three part places in the Bible, and there are more, where Jesus was angry. You think, so what's that about? What's that about? It's true. Actually, that's probably why in Matthew 5, in, uh, in verse 22, some uh, translations have this extra little bit in. They say, I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brothers, his brother, without cause will be subject to judgment. Probably someone just was thinking, hang on, Jesus was angry. They must have, it must have meant without cause. I'll add that in, into an early manuscript. But actually, probably that wasn't there originally. But you can see why they did it. Because you think it doesn't seem to make sense. Well, there are two things it's worth lo- noting with, with this, to try and understand this. First of all, Jesus did sometimes make statements which are are meant to convey the strength of what he felt and what he was saying, rather than a literal statement. Um, Some people would say that um, (laughs) half of the population do this as well. The female part of the population. Have a tendency to communicate something, just to talk about the strength of what they feel, rather than how literal it is. Let me give you an example. You might have heard, I know I'm on dangerous ground here, but it's quite fun. <laughs> you might hear some, some women say, oh, do you know, if I sat next to a woman with the same dress on as me, I'd just die. There's nothing worse. Whoops. <laughs> You see what happens when half the people in the congregation are praying. (laughs) (laughs) There's nothing worse. And you might get you might get people coming back, possibly men coming back and saying, Toby silly, of course you wouldn't die. Of course there's lots of things worse. Famine, for example. (laughs) The men just end up sounding sarcastic. And maybe they miss the point. But but the the point is is being said to convey the strength of something. Oh, that would be awful. And so it's a kind of exaggeration. It's not literal. They wouldn't really die. There are things worse, but it's, it's conveying the point. Now, anyway... I'm going to get out of this, because it's not just obviously combined to women, because Jesus did it. <laughs> it was kind of a Jewish thing, actually. Um, for example, in Luke 14, 26, in Luke 14, 26, 
Jesus says, If anyone comes to me and doesn't hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Anyone doesn't hate his father and mother. Now, he he doesn't really mean you have to hate them. He doesn't mean literally hate them. Because later on, in, um, in Matthew, Matthew 10, 37, Matthew 10, 37, he says, um, oh no, that's the, sorry, that's the, that's the same thing in Matthew. No, but Mark chapter 7, too many references here. Mark chapter 7 and verse 10, he says, um, Moses says, honor your father and your mother, and anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. Um, and he, he explains that. But he's, he's really commending them to honor their father and mother. So he can't be, on one hand, saying, honor your father and mother, and on another hand, saying you have to hate them. He's making a point. He's saying, look, other things have, uh, might be competing for your attention, but actually, you've got to put me first. So it's got to be as though you hate them. And, and sometimes, maybe they'll even think that you do because of the choices you make. He's not saying literally hate them. He's not saying that. He's just being strong about it and trying to convey it. So, in this, when he says, you know, about anger, it could, he might not mean absolutely every instance of anger. There may be some points where anger is okay, is right, even. But let's not lose the strength of what he's saying by saying, oh, of course, it doesn't mean everything, therefore it's all okay. Secondly, if we look at the examples uh, of when Jesus was angry, we can see that he was never angry when it was to do with him feeling personally attacked. He was never angry out of uh, kind of trying to justify himself, trying to stand up for himself. In the case of the man with the withered hand, he knew that the Pharisees didn't care about the man. They didn't want God to heal him. They were just looking for a way to get at Jesus. So Jesus was angry about that. When he drove those people out of the temple who were selling and buying, he was angry because God wasn't being glorified and God's purposes were being thwarted. When when he was angry at the tomb of Lazarus, he was angry at the monstrosity of death in God's world. The fact that his friend had died and death is the enemy. It's always the enemy. And Jesus was angry about that. There are things that it is okay, and in fact it's good to be angry about, because it fuels compassion for people. We can't just be blasé about the things that we see in the world, which are an affront to God and an injustice, and just go, oh well, that's the way life is. God's wanting us to be angry about those things. On his behalf. Because God is angry about those things. So that isn't what Jesus is talking about when he's talking about anger. He's talking about anger which is a personal thing. Which is coming up in someone. Which is against someone else. In a, in a kind of defensive way. And especially which is against um, our, our brothers and sisters in Christ. Jesus never responded when people attacked him personally. He never did. He said, Father, forgive them when he was being killed and crucified on the cross. His anger was primarily for religious people who were misleading the people, taking them away from God. That's who he was angry with. 
But let's not, outside of those exceptions, lose the point that Jesus was trying to make. Let's not go back to thinking, well, I'm okay. I'm a good person. Jesus goes on at the end and he, he gets into two practicalities which can help us. Two practicalities. Firstly, he says, if you're offering your gift at the altar and remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. So, in other words, if you're worshipping God and you remember that you've done something to hurt or offend someone, in other words, they've got something against you, you've done something that then they've got against you, you've got to go and sort it out with them, Jesus is saying. Don't just worship God and think, oh, it's all all right. I, I can worship God. I'll give, you know, I'll give, I'll give my money. Uh, the offering bucket will come around. I'll, I'll put my money in. I'll, I'll sing. I'll put my hands in the air. I'll worship God. When you've done something to hurt or offend someone else, and they know, and it's unresolved. Go and sort it out. God hates worship, which is just show or formality. It's back to religion again. There's places in the Bible where God strongly says how much he hates this. Isaiah 29, verse 13. The Lord says, These people come near me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is made up only of rules taught by men. Therefore, I once more I'll astound these people with wonder upon wonder. The wisdom of the wise will perish. The intelligence of the intelligent will vanish. Woe to those who go to great depths to hide their plans from the Lord, who do their work in darkness and think, who sees us? Who will know? <laughs> you turn things upside down as if the potter were thought to be like clay. So what is formed? Say to him who formed it, he didn't make me. Can the pot say of the potter, he knows nothing? People doing wrong and coming before God, who sees everything, who made us, and just saying, it's all right, no one knows, no one will see, no one knows what I've done in darkness, no one knows what was just between me and that person, no one knows what was in that email that I sent. It's all okay. God's saying, how silly. You think you're foolish, you think you're wise, it's foolishness. Again, Isaiah 58 and verse 4. Let's go from the end of verse 3. Yeah, on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You can't fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Jesus is saying that's not what it's about. You can't fast. You can't do religious duties and expect to be heard by God when you're fighting, when there's anger. You're not fooling God. Jesus is saying it's important to go and get things sorted out beforehand. Go and sort it out with whoever it is that you've wronged. Now, as I've said, Jesus is talking about here is when you know that you've done something to hurt someone. So they have got something against you. Jesus is um, maybe out of anger. Obviously, Jesus offended many people himself by speaking the truth to them. And, um, and so, you know, he wasn't saying if you say something that has offended someone that might be true. 
It might be that you've brought something godly to them. It might be that you've actually brought a word of correction because of, of how they're living their lives. And you've tried, your heart is good, and you're saying something, and they've got offended. How can you say that sort of thing to me? How, who are you to judge me? Maybe they've got offended, but in your heart, you've not come with judgment. You've come in a desire to restore someone. And so he's not particularly talking about you've got to get it all straight in that circumstance. Otherwise, you know, Jesus would have never been worshipping people, uh, worshipping God because of the people he'd offended. And um, church leaders probably would never worship God because they're always offending people. You know, I've, I've shown that today. You know, <laughs> maybe I should apologize about that, actually, if anyone is offended. You don't... <laughs> it's, all, it's also worth noting... If you, Jesus says, if you remember that your brother has something against you, in other words, you both know about it. Your brother's got something against you, brother or sister, by the way, so it's not just to men. If, if someone in church has got something against you, they know about it, and you know about it, that's when you go and sort it out. You've done something, you know they're offended or upset by what you have done. Jesus doesn't say, go and tell them, if you're unaware, if they're unaware of it. So maybe you've, you've got some sort of bitterness or anger or resentment or jealousy in your heart about someone, but they don't know. They, they're unaware of it. It's an issue that you have got. In that case, you need to get it right before God. You need to repent before God and get a better attitude. You don't have to go. In fact, it's probably not a good idea to go and tell them. I've had people come and, come and tell me that. They've come and said, you know, for the last two years, I've really had a problem with you. I've really struggled with this, 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 and this. But actually, I know God's, God's dealt with it, and I'm okay now. Just thought I want to let you know. I was like, oh, thanks. <laughs> They're all right, but I'm like, oh, my word. I never knew, you know. It's left me in bits, but they're, they're sorted out now. <laughs> you don't have to tell people. If that's the case. But do get it right with God. Do get it right with God. <laughs> it's important as a church, we're right with each other. That's why uh, there's been odd occasions when we've, on a family night, we've not broken bread together. And we've had to say, we're not going to do this. We're not going to break bread and share wine together because we know there's actually issues within us. There's... there's there's bitterness, there's anger, there's resentment. There's the, it's, we're not right together. We take seriously what it says in 1 Corinthians 11. 1 Corinthians 11 from verse 17, Paul says, In the following directors I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there have to be divisions among you uh, to show which of you has God's approval. He's been sarcastic. When you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper you eat. For as you eat, each of you goes ahead without waiting for anyone else. One remains hungry, another gets drunk. Look, don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? And he, he goes on and he says uh, later on in there, verse 27, Therefore, whoever eats or drinks eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, will be guilty against sinning against the, of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord, the church, 
eats and drinks judgment on himself. That's why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep, died. If we judged ourselves, then we wouldn't come under judgment. But when we're being judged by the Lord, uh, we're being disciplined, so we won't be condemned by the world. He's saying, look, sort your own attitudes out first, before you come, before you worship God together, before you break bread with each other. Otherwise, it's just a mockery. Otherwise, it's just pretense. And Paul's saying, well, what is that then? You're, you're bringing judgment on yourself by doing that. So you judge yourself. Much better to, to examine yourself and judge yourself than be judged by God. Sort it out. I'd like to say as well on this, families are not exempt. We can sometimes think God's talking about everyone in the church apart from our family. But there can be a lot of anger and resentment and can be going on within a family. And if that is happening, that's still part of the body of Christ. And if you come and you're at odds with your wife or husband or kids, that needs sorting. You can't just pretend that's there. It's not excluded. The second example that Jesus gives here, in verse 25 onwards... He says, settle matters quickly with your adversary who's taking you to court. Do it while you're with him on the way, or he may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. And I tell you the truth, you won't get out until you've paid the last penny. In other words, Jesus is saying, make sure um, that this is an example of you owing someone some money. And he's saying, pay them before you get thrown into prison. Sort it out now before you get thrown into prison. In Jesus' day, um, people who owed debts could be thrown into a debtor's prison and they had to stay there until the amount owed was paid which is quite difficult uh, to pay once you're in prison so he's saying sort it out before you get into prison a couple of points Jesus is making here really to do with anger and sorting things out with your with our brothers and sisters firstly don't delay don't don't delay in getting things sorted out it's not just about us and them there's a judge involved as well God and you might find yourself before the judge and then, and, then you'll be, and then you'll be thrown into prison. Or hell, I guess is, is what he's implying. And until, it, until you can sort it out, you'll stay there. Well, you can't sort it out. So he's saying, act quickly. Do it quickly. Get right with each other. See, this picture of a debtor in prison is a stark one because he, he will have to stay there until he can pay off his debt. But how can he pay off his debt when he can't earn? He's in prison. There's no way he can earn some money to pay off this debt, so he's got to stay there. It's a catch-22. It's impossible. The only way he can get out is by some friends paying off his debt. In that case, he could be freed. He could be set free if a friend pays his debt for him, but that's the only way. And for us, the debt is in the area of our moral standing before God, and Jesus has just made us very aware of God's standards. And we've, we've come to a place of thinking, how can anyone be saved? How can anyone be saved? And there's no other human being who can pay your debt for us. Because everyone's in debt. Everyone's in the same boat. That's what Jesus said. With man, this is impossible. We cannot be saved. We're all in debt before God. But he went on to say what is impossible with man is possible with God. Jesus is the only man who never sinned. 
And the good news is that he has paid the debt. He's paid the debt. That's what his death on the cross was all about. When we stop defending ourselves, making excuses for our behavior, justifying things, and when we admit it before God, yeah, God, you've exposed my heart this morning. I thought I was doing okay, but actually, I'm not. Because if that's the standard, if that's what I've got to be like, it's impossible. Once we come to a point of accepting that and admitting it, then God will say, I forgive you. I forgive you. Even though you are a sinner before me, even though your debt is more than you could ever pay, I have sent my son Jesus into the world and he's paid it for you. It's cancelled. He didn't do it because you were good or loving. He did it while you were still an enemy of mine, hating me, hating others. My son Jesus came and died for you in spite of all this. And it's because of that that I forgive you freely and absolutely. What a friend. The only friend who could release us from this debtor's prison. And when we know that, and when we've been released from that, then if there's anything we need to do to make it right with others, we'll go and do that. That's what Zacchaeus did, isn't it? He encountered Jesus and he said, I'm going to go and make it right with people. I'm going to make it more than right. Even if the people we're going to laugh at us, gloat over us, even if we make a fool of ourselves, we won't care. Because we'll have seen what a friend that we have got in Jesus. That he set us free from the debt we owe. He can bring us back into relationship with God. He can bring us back into relationship with others in the church. And we'll know that we've got an eternity ahead of us, tied up, secure in him. Not because we've kept the rules. Not because we've passed the test. But because we've been forgiven. Because we've got his spirit living in us, making us more like him. Brothers and sisters, that's what God has called us to. That's what God has won for us. Reconciliation between us and God and each other. And if we have anything that needs sorting as we come to worship God, let me urge you, let's get it sorted. If if you've offended someone and they know it and there's just this rift between you, Let's get it sorted. Because we're brothers and sisters in Christ. We're one body. We're worshipping God, our Saviour, who's set us free, who's released us from this debtor's prison. Let's pray.